Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. And let me just say, this is a um, group participation opportunity. So um, we had a guest lined up to join us um, this morning from Sanibel Island, pastor of the community church there, and he's had an emergency and isn't going to be able to join us. So if you're up and at him already and you um, want to pop onto the text line at 877-933-2484 and say, hey, this is something I'd like to hear Carmen address or talk about um, that I know is happening in the world or in my own neighborhood or in my own heart. Um, I'd love to hear um, Carmen address this. Well, hey, here's your opportunity to bring something to the conversation this morning. So text me at 877-933-2484, and we will take up those concerns in just a moment. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day is Matthew five, forty-one and 42. This is Jesus speaking, so these are going to be red letters if you are... Um, If you're, you know, considering, hey, I ought to take it really seriously because Jesus said it. Now, keeping in mind that the entire Bible is the word of God and all of it is useful for um, instruction and growing in the faith. But here you go. These are some words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5. I think these are some of the hardest teachings of Jesus, by the way, this, uh, this next section. So here we go. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Now, if you were going to read this in context, you would read Matthew 5, 38 to 48. You'd read this entirety uh, of this section of the Sermon on the Mount. But suffice it to say, this is a hard teaching. This is what I will call second-mile love. This is also the origin of the idea of going the extra mile. If anybody's ever said, hey, man, you really go the extra mile, or you really went the extra mile— this is the origin of that, um, you know, of that sentiment in the culture today. So let's talk about the context here. Jesus is, um, you know, speaking this to first century Jews under Roman rule, Roman occupation. And um, so you could ask the question, okay, when Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, you can say to yourself, well, who could force someone to go a mile? So if you're a person living under Roman occupation, then a Roman soldier can force you, order you to go a mile in the direction that he's going. Now, initially, he could only force you to do that if you were already going in that direction. Like, you know, he's, you know, he's marching along a road and you are already on that road. Then he can force you to carry his armor for one Roman mile. It was called impressment. They could impress you. Uh, into serving them in this way. But as time went on, um, not everybody was going the same direction the Romans were going. So eventually impressment included forcing you to carry their armor one Roman mile in any direction they were going, regardless of whether or not you were going the same direction. 
So Jesus is, you know, not just saying, hey, willingly go out of your way for these guys. He is saying not only willingly go out of your way, but then then go the second mile. Go the extra mile. Demonstrate the love. So a Roman mile is about 1.45 kilometers, just under an American mile today, like nine-tenths of an American mile. But the weight of a Roman soldier's armor, 88 to 110 pounds. So let me just ask you, could you carry 88 to 110 pounds for a mile on a Roman road, probably barefoot, if your life depended on it? Jesus says when that mile's up, don't drop the load. Don't just, you know, drop the load and sneer and grouse. Jesus says voluntarily carry that load another mile. And when the beggar asks, give them alms. And when your friend wants to borrow something, don't turn away, even if you know they're not likely to give it back in good condition. So we protest. We, we say to ourselves, now that's allowing yourself to be taken advantage of. You're asking me to humble myself. You're asking me to impoverish myself on behalf of others. You're asking me to allow myself to be taken advantage of, mocked, even humiliated. Yeah. Did I mention that this is a hard teaching? Motivated by love, empowered by the Holy Spirit, eyes fixed on heaven, living as demonstrations of the king who humbled himself from the glory of heaven to go an extra mile. Uh, not, not an extra mile. Oh, gosh. Not even two extra miles. To hell and back. That's who is calling us to this higher righteousness. It's Jesus who goes beyond the law in order that others might see what's above the law. And what's above the law? Love. So people are obsessed with the law. I mean, in Jesus' day, you know, the Pharisees were obsessed with the letter of the law, with the keeping of the law. Romans were obsessed with the law of the land. Um, Jesus wants his followers, you and me, to be obsessed with and possessed by the law of love. And the law of love goes the second mile, gives generously, lends freely, gives someone the very shirt off your back, turns the other cheek. Fair? No. Way beyond fair. This is love. This is the character of God. These are the ways of God. This is what it looks like to be a living demonstration of the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdoms of this world. This is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yes, it's a hard teaching. I think it's one of the hardest teachings Jesus ever uttered. But let those who have ears hear. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Well, good morning again. I'm Carmen LaBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Let me um, lead off here with a status update in Florida in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. We um, we had planned to be talking this morning with Pastor Jeremy Rennie. Uh, he is the pastor of the Sanibel Community Church. You can find them at sanibelchurch.com. Jeremy's not uh, going to join us because they have just learned that they can return to the island, like right now, um, in order to retrieve some things before demolition. 
And so obviously our hearts go out to them uh, and prayers go in their direction as they are doing what is, you know, a fairly grim task. Um, so Sanibel Island is it continues to be cut off. The Sanibel Causeway has not been restored. The only way back and forth to the island continues to be um, by boat or barge. And so let us be lifting up our brothers and sisters in Christ, not only of the Sanibel Community Church, but other Christians on Sanibel Island who are facing uh, today this grim task of um, removing as much of, of as they can of personal items, or in this case, items um, from the Sanibel Community Church um, before demolition begins. So there are lots of stories of resilience coming out of Florida. Um, people who you know have not been utterly destroyed, helping those whose um, who you know whose life and livelihood has been. Um, when when you're celebrating the arrival of portable bathrooms and portable showers, when you're celebrating that you know uh, Tide showed up with a tractor trailer of functional washing machines and dryers, or the Southern Baptist Convention showed up with another tractor trail trailer that the side opens up, you know, as a feeding center, or when you're just so excited to see the convoy of hope arrive um, with mucking supplies, supplies to you know, muck your house out and take it literally down to the studs um, in order that the entire house won't be uh, required to be demolished. You know, you're talking about people whose prayers have changed, whose lives have radically changed. We are celebrating that the bridge, uh, in, in at least in its emergency um, functionality, the bridge has been repaired to Pine Island. That is, um, you know, that's no, no, nowhere short of miraculous. And so we're celebrating those kinds of things today. Um, the state of Florida and um, Florida's emergency management and each one of the counties involved working around the clock to um, to restore power, to continue search and rescue efforts. There's still lots of people missing. 42,000 linemen from across the country have been working 24 hours around the clock to restore power. 2.6 million accounts across the state have already been restored. That that represents like 97% of the accounts um, that uh, that failed. There are currently 11 or maybe 12, not sure whose count is accurate, um, fueling depot stations uh, open statewide. That that's like mobile fuel trucks, right? That are um, that are showing up because gas stations were wiped out as well. Um, uh, Folks across the country and around the world have given more than $40 million to the FloridaDisasterFund.org. Um, and, and, and all kinds of efforts have been, um, have been set up. There is a statewide recovery mental health effort going on. If you know someone whose mental health has been affected by the hurricane, you want to encourage them to go to MyFLFamilies.com backslash Hurricane Ian. Um, lots of mental health resources available there for individuals and communities across the state of Florida and those outside of Florida affected by the storm as well. Um, 2,500 rescues have been made to date. There's still a thousand teams working in search and rescue. Um, the numbers are really, really astounding. Um, and this, you know, sort of list could go on and on and on. I am celebrating that, um, along with the Florida Department of Emergency Management, Ministries like last week, we talked with um, the Southern Baptist Convention uh, disaster relief ministry. That's you know already on the ground. They have uh, they have state directors, and we talked with their state director last week about what's happening there. But Georgia, Tennessee, South Carolina, Alabama, they've you know all sent help as well. Mississippi, don't want to leave them out. 
Um, their their emergency crews from the Southern Baptist Convention have also surged into the area, as has Samaritan's Purse, obviously the Salvation Army and um, the Red Cross, on and on and on. There are um, hundreds of open kitchens now serving impacted and displaced residents across the state of Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina as well. Um, they are serving... Uh, Let's see, as of Friday, more than 1.5 million hot meals had already been served in volunteer kitchens just across the state of Florida. On and on and on and on and on. Where is help needed uh, most? Well, there are some places like Pine Island, Sanibel Island, Captiva Island, where really um, the destruction, I mean, Fort Myers Beach is the one that we see evidence of because, um, because crews can get there to show us. But the city of Sanibel um, is devastated. And so we are going to circle back around with Pastor Remy when we have an opportunity. Um, Just know this. They met for the first time last night as a congregation, obviously off-island. They met in Fort Myers in another church at the Fort Myers Community Church, which is now hosting them. Um, And they met for the first time. And they hugged each other, and they prayed together, and they assessed not only one another's needs, but obviously the need of the church. And so be praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ and congregations like the Sanibel Community Church and others, and be praying for churches like the Fort Myers Community Church that are, you know, they've been, um, their their property has been damaged, but they haven't lost everything. And so they are staging up to serve their neighbors um, who are now uh, unable to return not only to their homes, but to their church as well. Does the anchor hold? Yes, it does. Is God good? Yes, he is. Um, Will we weather this storm? Yes, we will. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right. Hey, welcome back. I'm Carmen LeBurge listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is the Faith Radio Network. Um, Yeah, so many folks texting in. Thank you so much. Um, Mary says it's a little overwhelming to think about all of the need. I'm grateful for people stepping in to help others that they don't even know. Um, God, may many seek and find you during these times. May you be honored and glorified. Amen, amen, and amen. Um, let me ask this question. Uh, this is a this is a pro-life question, and this is also a question about for what would you march? Like, for what would you, you know, tra- you know, make a poster and get an outfit together and get a group of people together and go across the country or at least across the state or at least across your city to march around about something? Like, what would not just get you out of bed to do that, but what would you get you out of your house to do that? What What gets you so revved up that you would go and you could be protesting but you also might be proclaiming like right i don't know which one of those two fronts you'd be on but ordinarily when people are marching around the protesting something 
So thousands of abortion rights activists, proponents, use your term there that you would choose, um, showed up in Washington, D.C. on Saturday and across the United States to protest the Supreme Court's decision earlier this year overturning Roe v. Wade. So that's the Dobbs decision. These are some of the things that um, reading here from uh, quotes from the the Washington Post, reading here what um, people said during Saturday's, quote, Women's Wave Day March, Women's Wave. I didn't know there was a women's wave, but there you go. They had a march in Washington, D.C. on Saturday. Uh, Gabrielle Jennings was one of the many attendees. She is quoted as saying this, I'm out here today because I had an abortion. And I was able to do it safely, and I really believe that all women should have access just like how I was able to have access safely and securely. So here's one thing I want to note. There is obviously, quite obviously, no uh, no condemnation. Um, this person is experiencing no regret and no shame whatsoever. In fact, she is publicly celebrating and acknowledging that she had an abortion. Which leads me to believe that her understanding of abortion is not uh, my understanding of abortion. She did not regard that which was um, taken as a human life. And she does not regard what she did as murder. Because if, if those two things were true, she wouldn't be publicly saying to a news outlet, you know, I had an abortion. I committed a murder. I took another human life. In fact, I took a human life that God had entrusted to me as a sacred trust. Clearly, that is not her understanding of conception, human life, um, yeah, pregnancy, and certainly not her understanding of abortion. And so when we think about what we hear people saying or what people are quoted as saying, I want you to look for the worldview and look for the understanding of life and death and human responsibility that is all is wound up in that. Now, having said that... Um, If you listen to me on a regular basis, you know that I recognize the depth of regret um, that exists for women who have become Christians and or have grown in their understanding of um, what was accomplished uh, during their own abortion. Um, And so please do not hear me saying that there is an unforgivable sin here because there is not, but there is a sin here. And there is the offer of forgiveness of that sin. And there are incredible ministries um, that deal with post-abortive men and women. uh, Or maybe I should say that differently, post-abortive women and men. Um, And so I would encourage you, if you are living with um, shame, regret, guilt, you, you need redemptive restoration following an abortion or your participation in an abortion, those ministries are available. Um, And so I invite you into that. Um, and then I also want to lift up what is pretty, in my view, confusing in the culture today. And that is that there are people who say that their faith, these people purport to be Christians, and they say that their faith, um, in, you know, in Christ, in, in God, through Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, does not conflict with, um, their support of abortion, Vice President Kamala Harris falls into this group. She said this past week, quote, I say this, one does not have to abandon their faith or their beliefs to agree that the government should not be making um, this decision for women. She repeated this. um, This is a a claim that she repeated. She actually said it uh, for the first time that I'm aware of back in July. Quote, 
It's important to note that to support support a woman's ability um, to make that decision does not require anyone to abandon their faith or their beliefs. So as a Christian, how do I respond to that? Um, how do I respond to the killing of the unborn, um, the killing of the innocent? How do I respond to the idea that the protection of an unborn person is not my responsibility? I would look back uh, over the course of time. I would look back as far as like 223, right? They talk about um, Christians. I mean, Callistus is, an, is, a, is a historian, who took note, and this is, these are the annals of Roman history, right? These are not biblical sources, obviously, because you've never heard of Callistus. But Callistus actually notes in AD 223, Christians would search the trash for children who had been discarded and take them on as their own. Um, Benignus, in the third century, um, is noted for having offered nourishment and protection to abandoned children and infants, including some with disabilities that were caused by, quote, unsuccessful attempts to kill them in the womb. Those are unsuccessful abortions, or at least unsuccessful infanticide upon birth. It's the Christian's responsibility to take up and take responsibility and care for even those that their own mothers and the culture of which they are a part discards as trash. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9, like, right, we're not trying to take away a woman's choice, but we are trying to limit what she can choose, namely the killing of her own child. These are serious days, and these are serious times in which we live, and we as Christians must be serious people and give serious thought to the challenges we face. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. In your state, it might now be legal to purchase uh, marijuana. It's still not legal to use it in the United States of America. Like marijuana is still um, a a class one. It's still a class one felony to use marijuana. Like so, it, it's a controlled substance. Right, And so this conversation about descheduling marijuana federally is an ongoing conversation. President Joe Biden on Thursday pardoned everyone who uh, is convicted under a federal law of simple, simple marijuana possession. That's an estimated 6,500 people, um, not including those convicted in Washington, D.C., which is going to be an interesting conversation to have as well. So we're going to talk with um, Daniel Bennett next about pardon about presidential pardons and uh, and about this this challenge that we're facing as a country when we have these federal laws in place and then we have laws in states that are passed that really are contradictory to federal laws and what does that mean because you know federalism is our way of government so there you go that's that, that's the conversation is up next if you've been confused about this and i've been confused about this we're going to ask daniel bennett to sort it all out that's up next here on mornings with carmen
All right, Dr. Daniel Bennett is with us um, this morning again. You can find him at John Brown University or the Uneasy Citizenship blog. Easiest place to find all those links, danielbennett.substack.com. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I hear that we've already had breakfast at your house, and it was banana muffins and sausage, which sounds delicious. Yeah, my wife got on a baking kick yesterday, and uh, we prep for the week ahead and this morning is uh, monday mornings are usually good for the kids we we get off on a really high note and by friday we're dragging but mondays are good <laughs> it's fall break where i live so no one is out oh, of bed yeah. at my house except me there you go yes <laughs> so um okay a couple of things today is a federal holiday but lots of people are not off for uh, for it so can i'd love to just briefly touch on that what happened to federal holidays and why don't we all get them off anymore um because today is columbus day but not everybody recognizes columbus day and some people even call it something different so i i know this is not in our notes but can you briefly touch yeah. on that yeah, so you know, Columbus Day has been around for a long time. Uh, I think, if my memory serves, Columbus Day was a really popular, and probably still is a really popular holiday in certain big cities, particularly with large uh, immigrant populations, especially Italian populations. It's really popular mm. in Catholic-heavy areas, and I don't, I don't know how popular this is, you know, now. But that was, you know, one of the big drivers of this. Of course, now uh, there is a subset uh, of folks or maybe even a larger group who refer to Columbus Day as Indigenous Peoples Day uh, in acknowledging that, well, you know, the original holiday was named after Christopher Columbus. The uh, essential the, the acts that he committed here here in the new world uh, don't necessarily warrant celebrating him. Uh, and so it's flipping the script to Indigenous Peoples Day. As for why we don't celebrate all the federal holidays that's a great question. My initial reaction, Carmen, I don't know what you feel about this, is that there's just so many of them. Right. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, I, I don't know when we would work. I had uh, one of my, well, we had a birthday party last night for Jim. It was his birthday. And so um, one of my <laughs> sweet son-in-law said, um, I'm thinking that I need to not only go to work for a bank, but I need to go to work for a bank that maybe also has leadership that is a religion different than my own. Because then, like, I don't know, you might work like 15 days a month, maybe. Yeah, a lot of the high holidays and other religions are uh, are taken <laughs> really all- seriously. <laughs> I know, I know. Anyway, it's just a it, it, we would we would rarely work if we took all the holidays uh, that everyone well, uh, thinks we ought to have. Well, and Carmen, you mentioned today is Columbus Day. I'm glad you did because I would not have remembered. I mean, our of kids course are going not, to because school. your kids are going to There's school. There's no yeah. difference, right? No. I guess if the mail doesn't come, it's like, oh, what's going on today? Oh, right, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not possible that in, in these days you just didn't get any mail. See, because that would exactly. be, I'd be like, oh, I just didn't get any mail today. Mm-hmm. Okay. Exactly. Um, California paved the way uh, to be the first state to legalize medical marijuana back in 1996. But the federal government um, continues to classify marijuana as a Schedule One substance. It is still against federal law to use marijuana for um, even medicinal purposes, let alone recreational purposes. Um, and yet, a couple of dozen states across the country, um, you know, have now legalized it at one level or another. And President Joe Biden on Thursday pardoned everyone convicted under federal law for simple marijuana possession. Let's talk about um, the presidential pardon and the presidential pardon in this case um, and maybe give us a lesson on um, what what has happened to federal preemption in this case. Because, right, doesn't the federal law preempt the state laws? 
Yeah, so this is a great, great lesson. And, and, and in a uh, class in American government, we'll often bring up marijuana as a as a real test case for how the different levels of government interact with one another. Uh, so the pardons are pretty straightforward. If you were convicted under federal law from for about a 20-year period of marijuana possession, simple possession, not intent to distribute, not intent to, you know, traffic or what have you, if you were convicted under federal law of simply possessing marijuana, as uh, about 6,500 people, uh, you were pardoned, which means, and again, these folks probably aren't in prison anymore, uh, if they ever were at all, depending on the, the, the leniency of the judges, but their criminal conviction has been wiped out. It does not appear on their record anymore. So that's a pretty straightforward power of the president to pardon. It's consistent with the administration's efforts to take a more targeted view in the drug war, seeing that there are drug crimes that are certainly more serious and more severe than possessing a drug that a number of states in the country have now legalized for either medical purposes or medical use or simply recreational use. And so I think the Biden administration is taking that as a cue to say we are heading in a different direction. Uh, and we see this uh, we see this in states, too, that, like I said, have had a recreational marijuana initiative. It's difficult to try to reconcile those two things, saying that you can still be prosecuted for possessing marijuana under federal law. But if you live in Colorado, for example, there's no real I mean, there are limits, of course, but you, you can possess it in your home uh, legally. So, yes, this does raise a bunch of different questions about how state law and federal law interact and how the federal government is going to get involved, and most importantly, when they're not. Okay, um, you are correct. White House officials apparently said there are no individuals currently in federal prison solely for simple possession of cannabis. There are some 3,000 people um, who were convicted of higher-level marijuana crimes. They remain in federal prison. And some yes. 30,000 in prison in states across the country, um, I guess the last time the Prisoner Project uh, counted the numbers. So mm-hmm. um, I do think it's helpful for us to not only know what the law is in our own state and obviously to any state to which we travel, but also just as Christians to, you know, think about these things and not only to think about the legality or illegality of something, but the morality or immorality of something. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think marijuana is a really good example of this. So under President Trump, there was a major push for criminal justice reform efforts. Presidents for several years now have taken and have made a more concerted effort to pardon nonviolent drug offenders, people who say, were dealing drugs, uh, but didn't do so in a violent way. They were just doing so, they would say, to support their families without any violent repercussions. Um, And that raised a lot of debate over what is a just policy concerning uh, drug prevention. Is it to imprison nonviolent dealers, or is it to put more of our resources into the cartels and uh, traffickers that uh, provide and flood these communities with illegal drugs. So I think it's something that Christians can be thinking about uh, and should be thinking about considering the scourge of the drug uh, problem in our country in different ways. Um, I'll give a shout out really quick. There's a book that I'm really looking forward to reading. Uh, Matt Martins is a a lawyer based out of Washington, D.C. He has a book coming out through Crossway, I think early next year, 
uh, Reforming Criminal Justice, a Christian Perspective. That should be a really good book on this topic, but also a broader uh, consideration. Mm, Excellent. Um, I don't know what role, if any, um, a governor of a state as the chief executive officer um, has in assisting state universities in choosing or confirming their choice of a president. But I got to think that Ron DeSantis is super duper happy about uh, the calling of Senator Ben Sass to be the next president of the University of Florida. Mm-hmm. Go yeah, Gators! No, a, Gator Nation! Go, well, yeah. They uh, they they got a they got a good hire uh, out of anyone in the Senate that, in terms of having a big name with with major political skills. Sass is probably the best one to lead a university, given his experience in higher education already. Right, leading a small uh, college in Nebraska, turning it around really before he was elected to the Senate. So yes, I would say uh, I, I saw a joke that this is the fir- this is really the best example of someone leveraging their. Uh, political connections to obtain a more prestigious job in higher education. <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, higher ed or the Chronicle of Higher Ed, um, they've been taking responses and they say, here is the the lead quote, it could have been worse. Well, <laughs> n- never, never a great sign, but uh, if that's the consensus from folks who are following the situation, I'd say that's a pretty good endorsement for Senator Sass, given how polarized the country is. Yeah, and if you're wondering, um, what did Senator Ben Sass write his dissertation on? It's uh, the secular left, the uh, the religious right, and something about the rise of local politics or something. Yeah, he's um yeah. he's been in this conversation for a while. This isn't an example of you know someone with a high political uh, position simply getting a job because of that position. Senator Sass is an academic, I think, you know, for in many ways first. He has a PhD in history from Yale. He has been a college president before. Uh, so this isn't the case of someone who just happened to have the right connections with, with influential people at a major university. This is someone who probably would have been in contention for other higher education positions had he not, you know, joined the Senate. Now, you know, Probably not going from Midland University in Nebraska to the University of Florida. Uh, but still, it's not like there's no inherent familiarity with the landscape. Okay, um, somebody has already texted me. I mean, people are on it, right? So <laughs> uh, let me see if I can make this larger. Um, the anti-Madeline majority, Maudlin majority, secular mm-hmm. left, religious right, and the rise of Reagan's America. That was a dissertation presented to the faculty of the Graham School of Yale University in Kansas for the degree of the Doctor of Philosophy by Benjamin Eric Sass in May of 2004. So there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's been thinking about it for a long time. I mean, he's been think thinking so. about these things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like him. Let me just go on the record here as saying I like him and I think this probably means that he will come back and talk with us again because um, he will no longer be like perpetually running for the Senate. Yeah, you know, you could talk to him about issues in higher education. You could talk to him about the the Georgia-Florida game every year, make that an (laughs) annual thing to get him on. I think there's lots of opportunities for the show, Carmen. I do, too. I do, too. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Daniel Bennett here in just a minute from John Brown University, not taking on the University of Florida Gators anytime soon. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show featured on the Faith Radio Network. There is a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share at MyFaithRadio.com. 
My guess is you spend a fair amount of time on social media. So where do you spend your time? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube? Well, have you followed or liked Faith Radio on those platforms? I would invite you to do so. I'm there as well. If you want to check out uh, my personal pages, you could connect with me individually. We would love to have you uh, use the resources that we have produced and are creating and posting on social media for you to share with others. We got all kinds of stuff from graphics to, you know, Bible verses. I don't know. There's all kinds of stuff. Go check it out on your social media. Connect with us on Faith Radio social media. And, you know, let's get the word out to others. All right. Back to the show. Again, thanks for listening. Love connecting with you at MyFaithRadio.com. All right, Dr. Daniel Bennett is here. Um, We're going to read now from the Uneasy Citizenship blog. This one is called An Uneasy Citizenship Update. Um, hey, give us a give us an update here, not only on uh, the progress of your book, but then l- reflect with us on a recent execution and um, and and why you chose to take some time to talk about this. So this is a story that I I'm not the only one who's been following it, but <clears throat> certainly it's been of interest to me. Excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, John Henry Ramirez was convicted of uh, murder. Uh, quite a long time ago, I want to say about 15, uh, probably closer to 12, 13 years ago, he was sentenced to death for a pretty horrendous, or a horrendous uh, crime, stabbing someone uh, for and robbing them uh, in, in a drug-induced uh, rage, essentially. And he was sentenced to death in Texas. And eventually he uh, became a Christian, uh, developed a really, uh, what by all accounts, or a formative relationship with a pastor. And during his uh, execution, he was hoping to have said pastor lay hands on him. And of course, this is a very common thing in Christian circles uh, to to have the physical act of laying hands as a sign of blessing or comfort or peace. Uh, The problem was in Texas, there was a law that regulated not only who could be in the death chamber, but uh, they, they proscribed physical contact in the death chamber. They cited security reasons and other things. And eventually, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court weighed in in an eight-to-one decision, and they ruled that uh, Ramirez's religious freedom claims uh, should be respected by the Texas uh, Corrections Department. And uh, just last week, uh, Ramirez was executed. Um, There was no question about his guilt. He acknowledged his crime and apologized uh, for the person that he had been. I don't know if there was reconciliation between him and his victim's family, but there were certainly hints of this in the remarks between uh, the children and Ramirez himself. But he died as the pastor was laying hands on his chest, and the pastor later said he felt his heart uh, stop beating in that moment. And the pastor is also praying audibly at this time. So it was a really interesting and, and I think thought-provoking reflection on the nature of death, the nature of justice, how we accommodate people charged with really brutal and convicted of brutal crimes and how our humanity and and identity as Christians can still influence our thoughts on these things. I expect we're going to hear more from this pastor because that is, um, I suspect a unique, a fairly unique experience. Um, yeah. I mean, I, it's not unusual for a pastor to be, you know, holding the hand of or laying hands on a person while they're dying. That that's not unusual to be doing so in a death chamber um, and that person dying as the result of capital punishment 
I suspect that is relatively unique, certainly in this generation. Yeah. And so um, I, I would expect to hear more from, and I, and I hope, I hope we hear more from, um, from that pastor about, uh, about their experience as well. Um, what an opportunity, and this came up, I'm sorry, this came up last no. night uh, on, on not this specifically, but watching the 60 Minutes interview with Bart Barber last night, uh, the president of the Southern Baptists. Uh, you know, he was asked some tough questions. I think he gave some good responses, but there was so many opportunities for him, and he did, he, he, he grabbed his opportunities to just share the gospel in bite-sized <laughs> nuggets to this audience of millions of people who, you know, may or may not be Christians themselves. And so if his pastor were to eventually speak or write, I think he'd be of broader interest to the culture. But what an opportunity for him to, to use that position and experience to share the good news with folks who otherwise wouldn't be expecting <laughs> to hear the good news in that context. So I'm with you. I, I hope he is able to talk more about this experience. Um, okay. Um, tell us what you know about Truth Over Tribe. Yeah. So uh, they have a book out uh, just recently. Um it's essentially uh, trying to get Christians to not be as partisan. This doesn't mean to abandon political uh, means or efforts, but to maybe push aside, I, I, and I haven't read the book yet, but maybe push aside this blind partisanship to say, well, my side's always right. Your side's always wrong. We are therefore enemies in this environment. I yeah, think they're I felt making like, the, yeah. I feel like it's totally but, right up your alley. Like one hundred percent. Yeah, no, I know. I, every once in a so every once in a while, I'll read a book or read of a group, and I'm thinking, oh man, I wish I would have come. This to is that your first. people. No, I know this is totally <laughs> your people. So uh, Patrick Miller, uh, Keith Simon yeah. are the co-authors, um, and we're going to talk about it Thursday here on the show. So you know me, I'm always right. looking for you know help in advance. So you're <laughs> great. Yeah, no, they, <laughs> yeah, they totally do good work, it. and they're working. Uh, they're, they're working to try to break down some of these uh, barriers that exist today. Yeah. Okay, later this month, um, JBU, John Brown University, is going to be hosting the Reimagining Faith in Public Life 2022. You guys do this regularly. Um, yeah. I'm noting that you're one of the uh, one of the speakers this year and that people don't have to necessarily travel to Arkansas. Yep. They can, um, they can, it's free and they can yep. um, participate streaming online. So let's give people the date and the subject of that event because I think uh, folks will be really interested. Yeah, so mark your calendars. It's Tuesday, October 25th at 7 p.m. Central Time. It'll be on campus at JBU. So if you're in the Northwest Arkansas region or Tulsa or anywhere that's driving distance and you feel like you want to make the trip, come join us. Come say hi. But for, you know, the vast majority of your listeners, uh, just you can be able to, to log in uh, or not log in, sign up and, and watch on YouTube. Uh, we'll have the event streaming live. If you go to the Uneasy Citizenship page, you can find the link there. Also, if you just search for Center for Faith and Flourishing, uh, JBU, you can get to our events page and find the event to sign up there. But our speakers this year uh, are Jeff Bilbro, who's a regular guest on your show, uh, and the author of Reading the Times, uh, and where he's going to be speaking with uh, Bonnie Christian, who's the author of a new book called Untrustworthy. The theme of this year's event is discerning truth in an untruthful world, and we're going to be talking about how we, as Christians, absorb and take in information how we interpret that information, and then what we do with that information as it pertains to our public lives and Christian witness to a skeptical world. So I'm excited. Jeff and Bonnie are both excellent speakers. Uh, Jeff is actually an alum of George Fox, where I went, George Fox University, where I went as an undergrad. So it's going to be good to see him again. And Bonnie is just, I think, a really, really interesting young writer on these things. So yeah, Tuesday, October 25th, 7 p.m., 
discerning truth in an untruthful world, reimagining faith in public life, Center for Faith and Flourishing, John Brown University. Is that enough keywords, you think? Yeah, I mean, all of those things. And so um, I will put the link in today's show notes. Uh, so if uh, later, yeah, later today you just check in with us at MyFaithRadio.com, you can click on all the show notes for today. You'll have all the links to everything uh, that Daniel and I talked about today, as well as, you know, everything else that we talk about in the rest of the hour, um, and the links to reach this Reimagining Faith and Public Life 2022 event and how to sign up. But again, it's um, it's going to be October 25th, 7 p.m., um, and it's going to be online in addition to yep. you know being something that you could attend in person for free if you happen to be in Northwest Arkansas or, I don't know, want to go there that time of year. But it's pretty. Who knows? Yeah. It is. Maybe there, yeah. will, maybe there will be banana muffins and sausage. I don't know. Hey, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I can't. We want, we're not promising anything. All right. Hey, <laughs> Daniel, as always, thank you so much. Have a most blessed um, Columbus Day. Thank you, Carmen. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Um, all right, Christopher Columbus Day. Uh, a lot of people, um, you know, you may be hearing people talk about this from a variety of perspectives. Um, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. You might live in a city that is named Columbus. Um, you might have uh, a lot of debate in your community about a statue, uh, maybe, related to Columbus. There's a faith angle to all of this. Um, and I'm not sure um, that everybody knows this, but uh, Christopher Columbus did actually actually not set sail to prove that the earth was round. Um, most people already acknowledged and, uh, and knew that. Certainly mariners already acknowledged and knew that. Um, Columbus estimated the size of the Atlantic Ocean partially from reading the Bible. Uh, he had read in the second book of Esdras, that's uh, in the Apocrypha, for those of you who are not Roman Catholic, that God created the world in seven parts, six of them dry land and the seventh water. And so he calculated that the ocean uh, separating Portugal from Japan was one-seventh of the Earth's circumference, or about 2,400 miles. And so he figured that by sailing 100 miles a day, he could reach the Indies in 30 days. That is actually um, what he set out to do. So there you go. Uh, Columbus sailed the ocean blue not to discover America, but to confirm what uh, the Bible led him to believe um, about about God and about creation. So how far would you go? What is your spirit of discovery? What have you read in the Bible and wondered to yourself, huh, huh, wonder if I could go check that out today. Wonder if I could go prove God true on that point. There you go. Little thought for Columbus Day. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.